Hello and welcome back to another edition of the First Impression series here at There Was an Idea, in which I react to the latest, at least most of the time, MCU releases and share my first impressions upon leaving the movie theater. The film that I'm talking about today is, of course, not an MCU release, but I could not pass up the opportunity to talk about one of my other favorite superheroes of all time and a movie that I was hotly anticipating, very much looking forward to, and very much enjoyed, Matt Reeves' The Batman. So if you are here for MCU content and MCU content only, you might want to skip this episode. And you might also want to skip this episode and come back to it later if you have not already seen The Batman, because this here is your spoiler warning. I will be talking about the movie in great detail. First, I say that Batman is one of my favorite superheroes, and I think I've mentioned this in casual discussions on the podcast before, but I've never really had an opportunity to talk about that character or really delve into why he resonates with me. That is not the purpose of this episode, but I certainly would be interested in doing something like that in the future, perhaps if given the opportunity to do a deep dive on the Batman. I have not done a deep dive on a non-MCU film before. I have done first impressions of non-MCU films before, but if any non-MCU movie is going to warrant one of my, my first forays into other deep dive analysis content, it very likely could be the Batman. The Batman is certainly deserving of it. Batman is a character who has resonated with me since I was a kid and is someone who I'm always looking forward to seeing on the big screen. I have definitely mentioned on the show before, if you are a loyal listener, I'm sure you've heard me talk at least once about the movie Batman Forever, which is not often cited among the most, let's say, uh, memorable or significant or well-received of uh, Batman live-action depictions. But it is one that is a source of nostalgia for me. It is one that I watched as a little kid so many times that it really imprinted on me. Certain imagery from that film is just something that plays in the background of my brain. Don't know what that says about me. Maybe that actually explains a lot for those of you <laughs> who know me. But I will say that one of the things going into the Batman that I was looking forward to was a new portrayal of the Riddler. So, of course, if you're familiar with Batman Forever, the Riddler was portrayed by Jim Carrey in that movie directed by Joel Schumacher. And that film, of course, had a much more campy tone. It really leaned into it really leaned into the, the neon colors and, and had a real perfectly 90s campy vibe to it. It's Jim Carrey in the 90s for crying out loud. Like, of course it was. And of course, I loved that character as a kid. And the riddles aspect of Batman Forever was something that I really enjoyed. The fact that Batman had to take in these clues and attempt to solve them. That was something that I always found really intriguing. And I really was looking forward to seeing what I predicted, accurately predicted, would be a, a much darker, a much more um, mature take on the Riddler portrayed by Paul Dano in this new film, The Batman. And I was not let down by that. So that was one of the reasons I was looking forward to it. The trailers had hooked me right away with its usage of music, both the the hints of the score by Michael Giacchino, who also recently scored Spider-Man No Way Home, and man, the score of the Batman is absolutely incredible. It is perfectly unsettling. It is repetitive in all of the best ways. I loved everything about the score, and as I said from the trailers, I, I knew that I would. And in the trailers also, I loved the usage. I think it was the first trailer, the first theatrical trailer, the usage of the Nirvana song, Something in the Way, 
which of course uh, is a needle drop in the film. It actually plays twice in the movie. And I, it is used in, in such a way that it could be read as, as melodramatic. A lot of Robert Pattinson's portrayal of the Batman in this film really kind of leans into the emotions, the, you know, there's a lot of jokes about mopey emo Batman with the longish black hair and the makeup on the eyes and Nirvana playing. And I loved everything about that. The official theatrical release date for The Batman is Friday, March 4th. Of course, we know that many theaters will be playing it starting on Thursday, March 3rd. And there have, of course, been early access screenings to it as well. I had the opportunity to go to the AMC Fan First IMAX screening on Tuesday, March 1st. And I know other theater chains did some version of this as well. I am not recording this, full disclosure, right after coming home from the movie theater because it was quite late. Uh, film started at 7, and I'm happy to report it did start right around 7. It's all about 7.10, I'll say. Uh, we were treated to not once but twice the Nicole Kidman AMC <laughs> ad, which uh, has become a bit memeable online. If you're not familiar with it, uh, you can check it out. I, it, it's it's this really great clip in which Nicole Kidman steps into a puddle, and then you see the reflection in the water of, of the letters AMC. And she describes what it feels like to go to the movies. We come to this place for magic. It's <laughs> just Google it if you're unfamiliar with it. And it was great because, as I said, it played not once but twice. And so the, the audience was reacting well. But anyway, all of that aside, we did not see trailers before this screening. We only saw up on the screen a an official The Batman social media push uh, an advertisement for DC Presents the Batman fan first premieres in IMAX with some QR codes and prompts for us to to uh, at the Batman on social media and a Q QR code that sent us to a um, filter that you could use on Snapchat and little things like that with a countdown in the corner. And that was honestly really fun to watch the countdown and, and watch the images on the screen change. And there were some trivia questions about some things related to, to the movie, some non-spoiler things related to the movie. So that was pretty fun. All this to say... Movie started around 7.10, and it is, of course, a three-hour film. So once I got home from that, I was uh, pretty tired, to be honest. Uh, this is happening during a week that has been very busy for me. But I am now recording this on Wednesday, the 2nd, so not too much time has gone by. I still think it's fair to call this first impressions, even though I have had a day, not quite 24 hours, to, to process my thoughts on the movie. I did not feel the incredibly long runtime of this movie. I thought that it was extremely well-paced and engaging throughout. There was a sense of momentum throughout the film. I never really felt like there were moments that slowed down or moments that felt like exposition or felt like this would be the moment to take a bathroom run. And thankfully, I did not have to do that because I did not want to miss a minute of this film. Curious to see how it feels when watching it again, if it does feel like there are some slower bits of it but and I'm, I'm very eager to see it again because there's there's so much to unpack here of course here today I'll be sticking to some of the big standout scenes some of the standout performances the things that um, really stuck with me on that first watch and I'm sure there's going to be a lot that I'm forgetting I also have not yet listened to any other podcast takes on the Batman because I well none of the podcasts that I 
regularly listen to, have have uh, published anything on it yet. And I also went alone for my first viewing, so I have not talked to anyone else in person who has seen it yet. Most of my friends, both from personal life and podcast world, won't be seeing it until Thursday, Friday, the weekend. So you're very much getting kind of uh, just the early TK take here, which is good, right? It's the purpose of first impressions. I did tell some students that I had the opportunity to go last night. And it's funny, the the big question that they were asking me was, is it better than The Dark Knight? Which I thought was kind of cool, because these are kids who are freshmen in, in high school, and they are, I guess, 14, 15. And so for them, I mean, they were born the year The Dark Knight came out, uh, or maybe a little bit before. And so it's funny to me that within the culture, The Dark Knight still holds this place of such significance and uh, it was really a a watershed moment for both the the batman character and batman films in live action as well as superhero movies in general oh man now i'm thinking it'd be really really great to do some type of batman deep dive episode maybe talking about the significance of the dark knight maybe talking about this new movie all right i'm just thinking out loud at this point let me know your thoughts if you're listening if you'd like to collaborate with me on some batman related content if you'd like to hear Batman-related content, or if you're thinking to yourself, no, you want there was an idea to stick to the MCU and the MCU only, I'm happy to hear any and all thoughts you may have. But regardless, I thought that that was kind of cool and fascinating that that was their go-to question, that they hold the Dark Knight in such high regard, and perhaps they have heard that uh, this film, The Batman, might rival it in some way. And replying to that question, I told them, you know, I I can't quite answer that yet. I remember still the feeling of walking out of The Dark Knight, just how huge that movie felt at the time, and how much I still enjoy that film to this day. And I think that, you know, there are elements to The Batman that, of course, may be better, but to stake a claim as to which film is better overall... It feels way too premature to do that. I definitely think I need to see the Batman more. I will say it's my favorite of the 2022 releases I've seen yet. Maybe that's not saying much since it's only early March, but by far it's been my favorite. So the Batman is definitely a movie that leans very heavily into the film noir aesthetic and into Batman as detective. And this delighted me very much because I'm, I'm attracted to that kind of a gritty underground crime type of, of story. And as I mentioned before about enjoying the riddles aspect of the Riddler and enjoying like the game aspect of, of some of the challenges that the Joker presents to the Batman in The Dark Knight, for example, I enjoyed that crime thriller aspect of this film. Perhaps that's not for everyone, but I really liked it. From the moment the film opened, I was absolutely hooked. I loved the opening scene and the entire opening sequence of scenes, I should say. It begins, the movie plays with perspective in a really interesting way. And you begin by looking through the eyes of of someone who is watching a scene unfold in an apartment with a, a little boy and his parents coming home when the little boy's dressed in his Halloween costume. And you're not sure if first is this Batman or what's going on. And then the camera takes you like up on the roof and then into that apartment. And you're watching this man who we find out is the mayor of the city of Gotham. And he's watching TV. And then there's this like incredible shot of who we find out afterward is the Riddler behind him. And it's scary. And 
It's so unsettling. It's uh, such an engaging way to start the film. It sets the tone for how, how violent this film is really going to be. And in the introduction of Batman as well, I love the, the opening. I love the narration technique. I love the fact that this is a Batman who, who is observing and is tracking and keeping logs of what he sees. He's keeping journals. And the opening sequence establishes Batman as scary as well, because we get to see a bit of the perspective of criminals in, in Gotham on Halloween night, which is so great. I love, I love the decision to, to set this opening day on Halloween. And we see the criminals who are fearful, so fearful of Batman when they see that bat signal in the sky. It's just, ugh, it's so good. I cannot wait to watch it again. And as I said, from there, the movie just keeps going and going and going. Like it never really feels like it slows down, even when you start to think about it and you're like, okay, this, there are some scenes that are slower and more dialogue based. There are some scenes that are more action based, but there are some scenes that are more action packed. But ultimately, I just felt this moment, this momentum throughout. In addition to that opening sequence, I guess some of the big scenes that stand out to me, there's there's an incredible Batmobile car chase scene with Batman and the Penguin. And this is teased in the trailer, but man, it is so good in terms of completely, I guess you could say base or or or, or unrefined desire to watch big explosions and hear big explosions in IMAX and just have the entire theater feel like it's rocking. Uh, that this scene was unlike any other <laughs> in terms of satisfying the let's watch things go boom desire that I think many of us who are fans of superhero movies do enjoy. And one of the other standout scenes to me in terms of just pure action chaos is when Bruce Wayne, one of the few times that we see Bruce Wayne as Bruce Wayne, when he attends the memorial service for the late mayor, and, you know, much of Gotham is there. And the DA who was kidnapped by the Riddler and to whom a, a bomb has been affixed drives right into the church and everyone is evacuated by law enforcement. And then and then the Batman is there and he and the DA have this phone call with the Riddler and there are riddles to to uncover. And it's a it's a very suspenseful scene culminating in the DA deciding not to give up the name of uh, the informant, who we will find out later in the film is Carmine Falcone. And that the whole like crime boss underground CD thing totally worked for me too. I really liked the elements of, of the plot related to that. But regardless, it culminates in uh, the bomb going off and of course the DA being killed. And that whole scene, like I said, was just very suspenseful and gripping. So I talked a little bit about some action scenes, things go boom, and uh, how how absolutely well done that stuff was done here. And I think I talked a little bit about the aesthetic. Of course, I talked about the score. I talked about how the movie plays with perspective. Just the entire way that this movie is shot is so gorgeous. And it, it is dark, um, but it, it feels so intentional. And the I loved the color palette. I loved how um, how entirely gripping and real it felt while also feeling it felt very much like a comic book in ways maybe especially the way in which it was paced anyhow i do also want to speak to to character for a moment because this is not all just about the action and in fact it's not hugely about the action at all this is very much a, more of a detective batman story in which he he is using his brain 
And I'll get to the characterization of Batman in a minute. A lot of the uh, supporting players here, Colin Farrell as the Penguin was awesome. He was appropriately gross and and creepy and unlikable, but not too over the top and threatening without being the big threat of the film. And I just thought that his performance was was excellent. And that's definitely a character that they are setting up uh, to do more with down the line. Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon, I thought he was excellent. A real kind of um, soft presence to Jeffrey Wright, who of course we, we know and love his voice here at There Was an Idea. He's the voice of the watcher on What If? And he, in this film, he's not yet the police commissioner. I don't know if I already called him Commissioner Gordon, but he's not yet the police commissioner. And what's really nice too is there's already this established relationship between him and between him and Batman. This film is not an origin story for the Batman. We're we're coming into what I believe was described as being year two of uh, Bruce Wayne being the Batman and and operating in this way. So there's this nice fluidity to the way in which Batman and Jim Gordon interact. Of course, there is also the interactions between Bruce Wayne and Alfred in this film, portrayed by Andy Serkis, who we've talked about on the podcast before. Of course, he has been an actor in the MCU. He's the director of Venom Let There Be Carnage. He's, uh, he's Andy Serkis. He's, he's in a lot of stuff. He does a lot of things. And I thought he was great as Alfred. This is an Alfred who is uh, certainly very able-bodied and is someone who... We don't really get to see in too much action here in this movie, but his his devotion to Bruce Wayne is clear. And of course, he plays an important an important role for Bruce. Film doesn't go too much into their relationship, but I did like seeing Andy Serkis in their role and hope to see him back. And then, of course, there is Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, the Catwoman. She was great. I am a fan of Zoe Kravitz, and I was really looking forward to seeing her in this movie. I like the way that she plays off of Batman in in the film. I like how they I like how they have a natural connection. They obviously have things in common, and they are working well together um, pretty much right away, despite the fact that there could potentially be some antagonism there as well. And I like the way that she kind of um, asks him to confront himself. At one point, she says to him, you know, you must have been somebody who grew up rich. And she's kind of holding a mirror to him in the same way that uh, the Riddler, who we'll talk about in a second, also holds a mirror to him in terms of thinking about his own role in Gotham and its history and uh, the legacy of the Wayne family. So even though these characters don't know that when they're interacting with the Batman, that they are interacting with Bruce Wayne, they they make these comments, um, in her case, saying you must have grown up with it, or making direct references to Bruce Wayne that, like I said, kind of hold this mirror up to him, which I think is interesting. And I like the way they tied in Selena's character with the Falcone plot as well, making him her father. I don't know to what extent these things are things from comics lore because I haven't read any Batman comics, at least not yet. I do intend to read year one soon. And there's a few other titles that have been recommended to me many times that I just haven't gotten around to yet. But regardless, uh, so I don't know where this movie might deviate from that or if if some of these threads were there, but either way, I liked that. Uh, I liked that connection a lot. And I thought the the chemistry between Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz was really excellent. And they were they were very electric to watch on the screen. I mentioned Pattinson a little bit before, but I, I loved his take on Batman. I really love that this is not the confident playboy Bruce Wayne. This is a very tortured, I don't really want to appear in public Bruce Wayne. And this is a, a character who is very, very concerned with 
his work, his mission as the Batman. And there's an arc for him in this movie. You know, you know, he he calls himself early on. This bit is in the trailer. When asked, who are you? He says, I'm vengeance. And uh, Selena Kyle calls him vengeance throughout the movie. And there's this repetition of, of that term. And this is how he has framed his work for himself, how he sees himself and his identity that he is vengeance. And then by the end of the film, he, when faced with one of the Riddler's uh, radicalized followers who calls himself vengeance, the Batman uh, decides that he does not want to be that and that instead perhaps he can be more of a, more of a hope for the future of Gotham. And so it's a simple, it's a very simple arc, but it is an arc nonetheless and one that I thought was well done, leaving the character to a lot more growth in the future. And to speak about the Riddler, who I haven't really spoken too much about yet, I loved the portrayal of this character in this movie. Paul Dano was excellent. His delivery of the lines and his his choice of inflection and body language, so well done. And there have been so many great Batman villain portrayals. Of course, Heath Ledger as the Joker and uh, Tom Hardy as Bane. These are people who really captured something weird and intentional in the ways in which they write their lines. And especially in the case of Ledger as the Joker, you know, it's it's an iconic performance. Dano was right up there. He was so magnetic on the screen in his mask or without it when we finally see him unmasked when he's in Arkham Asylum and, and Batman is there and they're talking through the glass. He is just horrifying and um, sad, and yet you, you have empathy for him as well. But he is, uh, he's the, the way the actor portrays this character turns him into something that is really um, much more complex than you might think the Riddler could be on the surface. And I really appreciated that. And again, like I liked the Riddler in Batman Forever when I was younger, uh, but this is not that. This is not that campy, silly costume with the question marks on it. This is someone who is wearing um, this really terrifying mask over most of his face and these goggles and carries a, a rifle and is brutally violent. And it's a wonderful, wonderful portrayal, wonderful villain that I just had a really, really fantastic time watching. And I like how the Bat he the Riddler throughout the majority of this film considers Batman to be his ally. He's leading these clues for him so that Batman will lead Carmine Falcone into the light and so that the Riddler can kill him. And he thinks that Batman is going to be his ally in, in his goal of destroying Gotham. And when he finds out that Batman is not going to be his ally in this work, his reaction is so um, pure and uh, terrifying. There's a bit of time in this movie where you think, where as viewers we think, and the Batman himself seems to think that the Riddler knows that he is Bruce Wayne. And that was really cool, that the way that played with that suspense. And of course it sets up you know, Bruce Wayne and and Edward as being, you know, two sides of the same coin. They're, the Riddler is a foil for the Batman. These are both people who lost their parents as a young age and grew up as orphans. And the way that the Riddler presses on that language and, you know, again, holds that mirror to Bruce Wayne or not knowing it's Bruce Wayne, but holds that mirror to the Batman saying, you know, he's a billionaire in a tower, right? How can he use the word orphan? Those are not the exact words, but that's kind of what I remember. Really, really well done. And one of the things I'm most looking looking forward to revisiting when I watch the movie again is is really focusing my attention on that Riddler character because he's just so fun to watch, you know, in a perverse kind of way. 
Okay. Oh, one thing I didn't mention, the contact lens cameras, those were sick. I really liked uh, that as a technology here in this movie. You know, Batman's always known for his cool gadgets. He's got these contact lenses that record everything. And at one point in the film, he lends them to Selena Kyle, who wears them when she uh, infiltrates this club where all the sketchy characters hang out. And that's kind of cool. There's also like the flying bat bit. It's like kind of inflatable suit that that Batman flies in. That was a little interesting. I, I didn't like that as much as I loved the, the contact lens cameras. All right, what have I not talked about? Oh, you know, I mentioned that there are some things here that I'd like to see in future installments. I don't know exactly what the plans are for follow-ups to this movie, but it certainly leaves the door open for a lot of things, including, of course, there is this interaction between the Riddler and his uh, cellmate on the other side of the wall, who is played by none other than Barry Keoghan, who plays my guy Druig from Eternals. And uh, he's also in The Green Knight. He's a great actor. I really like Barry Keoghan. And he is playing who, of course, we can deduce is the Joker based on the comments that he makes to, to the Riddler about, I think, something to the effect of like the city turning people into clowns. And then there's this great hearty laugh that they share together from across like the cell wall. It's very cool. And uh, who knows what we'll see next from Barry in the DC or this strain of the Batman DC world. But I, I certainly am looking forward to it. No post credit scene here, but there is the question mark and the word goodbye that shows up at the end of the credits at that kind of like mid credits mark. So not entirely sure what that means, but kind of a cool, cool touch. It's, it's, you know, in the computer font that the Riddler was using earlier in the film. And I'm sure there are many details that I'm missing here. I'm sure I'm going to turn off the recorder and say, oh man, I wish I had mentioned this thing or that thing. If you'd like to hear more of me talking about the Batman in the coming weeks, as you know that I'm going to see it many more times. Please let me know. Let me know your thoughts. If you'd like to hear a deep dive episode, if you'd like to collaborate with me on talking about the Batman, please feel free to reach out. You can do that by following me at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram or Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.